say, kids, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm your host, Bill Brio. This episode is brought to you by CTV, Hollywood Suite, Paramount Plus, and Super Channel. Well, my guest today is a fellow I've had on uh, before, and I always really enjoy speaking with him. He's an award-winning documentary filmmaker who has been exploring Ontario one film at a time, uh, these past four or five years in particular. The series he produces for TVO goes under the tripping banner, and it invites viewers to experience three-hour tours in real time and takes you to great points of interest all over the province. It started with tripping the Rideau Canal, but he's also been tripping off to the Niagara region and last year up the Bruce Peninsula. On Friday, April 7th, TVO premieres his latest, Tripping the 185, a three-hour vintage train ride that leaves Sudbury, Ontario, and heads northwest along the Spanish River and deep into the Canadian Shield. Please welcome your tour master, Mitch Azaria. We're talking yes, with, with uh, Mitch Azaria, of course, executive producer of all these wonderful tripping documentaries on TVO. We've talked in the past, uh, Tripping the Bruce was the last one, which I was thrilled to see and watch uh, because my family's had a cottage on the Bruce Peninsula for uh, my whole life. Um, but this new one is really unique, and it's premiering on Friday, April the 7th on TVO. And I believe it's called Tripping Train 158, right, Mitch? Uh, 185. Oh, I got the I got it wrong. One eighty five. Don't take train one fifty eight. You'll end up in Moose Jaw. Make sure you get on. <laughs> make sure you get on one eighty five. Uh, tell us this this route. It's a, a beautiful, pristine, unspoiled part of Ontario. That's pretty much uh, from Sudbury North, right? Yeah, and you know what? We have that in common. I was calling it one fifty eight for the longest time too. So <laughs> um, it's 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 a it is. It's a hidden gem. It's, you know, I didn't know anything about it. It goes from Sudbury to White River. And White River is, it's about 480 kilometers northwest of Sudbury. So, um, you know, the route goes through um, just incredible lakes and, you know, um, boreal forest and, uh, um, you know, big cuts out of, you know, the, you know, the Canadian Shield. And, um, you know, and, and it's a historic train, um, you know, the train itself is a bud car, which, you know, is, um, this is the last remaining bud car, um, in North America, still operating on a regular route. So for all kinds of reasons, it's a, it's, it's an incredible train to take. Yeah. To explain that the bud car, from what I understand, and you see it throughout the course of the documentary, uh, it doesn't have a locomotive in the front. They're sort of self-powered uh cars there's two of them coupled on this journey and they operate independent of a locomotive right yeah that's exactly it so they were um and they're beautiful right stainless steel yeah. and sleek um and they came about um after the war um after the second world war um so they were built sort of from 1949 on and what was happening was rail travels particularly on the small routes was sort of declining you know there was air travel um, buses and cars were making you know a big push so um this bud car company in philadelphia decided to build something that was really much more like a bus than a, than a train and as you said it doesn't have a locomotive so you can actually have one car operating on its own it's got two diesel engines built in um, it's got its own package baggage compartment come um, and passenger compartment and it, it's got disc brakes I mean, it drives um you know like a car and for this route it's the perfect train because it's a flagstop route which means anybody um, along the route or on the train if it's a safe spot they can you know wave down the train or tell the the you know the service manager that they want to get off and, and they'll just stop the train the train in, in, in the middle of the wilderness. How did you discover it? You know, I was talking to a guy named Daryl Adair in Winnipeg, and he does train uh, trips. And uh, he said, well, you know, have you been on the Bud Car? And I said, the what? And he said, the Bud Car, it leaves out of Sudbury. How it's such a secret to me is, is it, it, it's on a, I, I don't get it because once you get on this train, you realize... We went on the Polar Bear Express because somebody said, well, you got to do the Polar Bear Express. 
the polar bear express, you know, is it's through basically a tunnel. You really don't see much. This train is off the side of the window is, is just beautiful. Like it's just the, the scenery is constantly changing. Lots of wide open, you know, you know, places to look at. It's, uh, it's quite beautiful. And you're traveling through, um, uh, an area of trees that's actually larger than the Amazon rainforest, right? Just lots of white pines and uh, uh, trees like that, right? Yeah, I mean it's the boreal forest, right? It's it's a huge swath that you know that you know that really goes from you know Europe right across um, you know right across um, uh, Canada. And you know the, the the other thing that you know that 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 sort of you know surprised me about this route is. You know the, the the relationship that um, the 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 crew has with with their passengers. It's like old home week every you know every every day on this train um, because this train it was it was done by Via and Via you know um, if you remember in the sort of late eighties was created to protect a lot of these essential routes that CN and CP were dropping. So this train services people that have no other way to get to either their cottage. Um, their small town, their lodge. So, um, you know, there's this this cool relationship that these VIA folks have with people. Like I was in the back of a, in the baggage compartment, we were sort of slowing down again, sort of in an area that I thought there can't be a stop here. And the train stops, the baggage door slides open and this, you know, 20 something young woman holds up a pie to the service manager and says, <laughs> you know, I was waiting for you guys to come along because I wanted to thank you for that trip last week. And she baked them a pie and just, you know, kind of gave it to them, you know. It, you know, I watched it and I, I bet you I thought um, it's like traveling back in time watching this documentary. It doesn't seem to be uh, taking place in 2023. There's something nostalgic about it and there's something friendlier and very warm. And, and you're right. It's like almost a school bus. Every time somebody gets on or off, they know the engineer or the person helping them on and off the train, their friends. And uh, it's quite touching, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's exactly it. It feels like a throwback. And I, I'm, I'm nostalgic for the old days, right? So yeah. a train is already nostalgic, but this is a train route that's really nostalgic because it is a throwback um you know every every, every part about it um and you know you even see you know the, the the manner of dress and 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 the conversations that happen i mean the you know in a normal train between you know along the corridor between montreal and uh and windsor you know it's it's you know there's some conversation this is conversation people you know bring food and you know exchanging you know homemade you know donuts and sandwiches and it's it really it's 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 like uh it's like Canadian living history, you know, and 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 I worry about it because I worry that if not enough, you know, folks use this train, that you know, that VIA or the federal government will decide that um, you know they don't want to continue the service, and and it's 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 a gem. Like people that can get to it, can get to Sudbury, should really ride it. They 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 they'll just love the ride. Well, this documentary uh, train. 185, <laughs> train 185, should help fill those train cars. Uh, and yeah, you know, you see guys on the train, there's a, a, and there's a lot of middle-aged fishermen who are playing cards on the train and stuff. Uh, it's interesting. Like you almost expect, and this is mainly a route for guys who want to go fishing, I think. You look, I'm looking around for Gil Fisher from Scuttlebutt Lodge, you know, from SCTV. Uh, it, 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 and I knew I had uh, uh, some neighbors at the cottage um who um one of them uh they went up and they opened a lodge i think up near spice river and yeah people love going up there to fish because the fishing's fantastic right it's supposed to be some of the best fishing in in not just ontario but in canada um you know i i'm i'm a bit of a fisherman but this you know these guys say that you know the, that the fishing is absolutely um outstanding there and these lodges, um, literally, they bring everything in. Um, we weren't there, but they brought these beautiful um, wood boats in on the train. Um, you know, you bring canoes in. They bring, you know, the, the, on one of the one of the rides we were on, they were bringing, you know, fifty mattresses to, you know, to one of the lodges. I mean, this is the only way for these guys, you know, short of getting a. Uh, an airplane to get anything into these uh, into these lodges they bring their groceries twice a week you know for you know for for the lodges 
Yeah, you're, the documentary starts uh, in Sudbury, and you're loading the train, and there's, I think, about five canoes being loaded on, and all the, uh, you know, knapsacks and sleeping bags and everything they'll need. But at one point on the trip, you're passed by a, a cargo train, a long, long 200-car cargo train, maybe longer, filled with these giant containers because, yeah, in order to get to food or everything's to white river this is the only way to do it right yeah those freight trains i didn't know but a freight train um can be up to three miles long wow like, yeah right yeah, see like and they, so and they have they have when they're that big they have um locomotives placed strategically along the the freight train so there'll be one at the beginning one you know a third of the way in another two-thirds of the way in and another at the front yeah. But if they get into and 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 they're all controlled by the 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 locomotive in the front and they they sort of relay because there's nobody in the other locomotives, they relay the information to the other locomotives. And apparently if they get into like a really curling S situation, the line of sight is so curved. So, you know, there can be there they can lose communication between the different locomotives. They're that long, right? I mean, yeah. you know. Crazy, crazy, crazy length. The other thing that they used to run on these, um, and they ran up until I think the 1970s, were school cars. They had they had school cars on this route. So what happened was, you know, lots of these, you know, communities and and cabins were so isolated, and the kids weren't able to get to school. So the Ontario Department of Education, which is what it was called in those days, this started I think in 1926. They retrofitted um, CPR um, cars into classrooms in the front, living quarters in the back, and they would, you know, have a teacher. In in most of the cases, they also had these teachers had families, and um, they would go and stop every, you know, twenty miles. They use miles in in uh, in, right. in the rail jargon. That's why I'm using miles. And all of the kids in that region would come and they would attend classes for five days and they would get homework for another 20 days. And then the, you know, the car would move down the rail for, you know, to the next uh, area. Yeah. I want to talk about this. This is fascinating. And you're right. I never knew they used miles on trains and the reason for it, as you note in one of your pop-up uh, information on uh, during the show, is because the United States never switched to the metric system in 1975 or whenever it was. So because these trains crossed the border, we're stuck with miles, right? Everything's in miles. And, it, and it's, you know, you and I are, you know, of the same vintage. So we remember that sort of confusing time between miles and kilometers. But yeah. they completely operate in miles. So... We were torn when we were making this documentary because, you know, as Canadians, we're really used to kilometers. And yeah. and we ended up using miles for everything that, you know, within the, the, the train world of the documentary because it, it is the way that it operates and, it, and, and all the signposts are in miles and so forth. Well, it, it almost helps with the sense that you're going back in time by taking this train. <laughs> um, please keep your hands inside the monorail. We'll be right back with Mitch Azaria in just a moment. On Iron Road Running from the sea to the sea Bringing the goods to a young growing land All up from the seaboards and into the hands Time once again to talk to our friend Emily over at Hollywood Suite. Emily, what do you got for us this month? Well, it's my favorite month of the year. It's Women's History Month. So we've got women in film on our channels. You know, some of your favorite filmmakers like Penny Marshall, Nora Ephron, the Wachowskis, Sofia Coppola. They're all on our channels this month. And we have a female filmmaker from Canada, Chandler Levac. Uh, she made I Like Movies, which is uh, playing in Canadian theaters in March. She is programming our channels on March 30th. So you can tune in and see her selections. And as an extra bonus on March 31st, we are screening the first two episodes of Slasher Ripper at the Review Cinema at 645. Tickets are free. Come see the first two episodes before they premiere exclusively on Hollywood Suite in April. Fantastic. Sounds like a ripping time. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Bill. Well, what's new this month on CTV? First up is True Lies. 
a new series based on the 1994 film starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger. This TV version casts Steve Howey and Ginger Gonzaga as husband and wife spies. I'm going to hold out hope that Tom Arnold shows up and makes a cameo. There's also a new Canadian comedy called Shelved. Lindy Greenwood plays Wendy, the head of a perpetually underfunded Toronto Public Library. She's surrounded by several bookish regulars. Stealing scenes as usual is Robin Duke as library squatter, unhoused Wendy Brown. Finally, look for Sullivan's Crossing. This is about a Boston neurosurgeon played by Morgan Cohen, who leaves her job in America to move back to her family's campground in Nova Scotia. Scott Patterson from Gilmore Girls plays her estranged father, Sully. There's also a handsome and mysterious newcomer played by Chad Michael Murray. Get into Sullivan's Crossing and all the new shows this month on CTV, ctv.com, and the CTV app. back with Mitch's area. I want to talk about this school thing because this is another, and, and in all your documentaries and Tripping the Bruce and uh, uh, Tripping the Redo Canal um, and the Niagara one you made, they're all fantastic. And please, people, watch them if you haven't yet on TVO. Um, you're the, these are sort of three-hour real-time real rides, and um, this one's no exception. Uh, but at part of it, and in the others, you do recreations. and You do these wonderful animations of things that happened in the past. But here you, you look at uh, a train, a school train, and you show actual film from, uh, I don't know, from somewhere between 1937 and 57 of this one man who was a teacher and his family who lived on part of the train and taught kids for 20 years. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. And Mitch, this should be a miniseries this could be a scripted show just about this train right like it's i've never heard of this before it's fast and the talk a bit about how the how well the students did who were taught on that train yeah i mean they did exceptionally well and i think you know there were a few things going on so when the train um rail was when the line was built they had sort of maintenance um crews every and i'll continue to use miles every six miles to maintain it and those, you know, the, those maintenance crews, you know, would have families and so forth. So these, you know, these kids were quite isolated. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the folks that were in these camps were new immigrants. So not only did they, you know, teach the kids during during the day while they were there, but um, Bill Wright and his wife, Helen, Helen at night would have, um, you know, the parents over and she would, you know, have them listening to the radio or playing games and also working on language skills as well, because in a lot of cases, um, you know, English wasn't their, you know, wasn't their first language. And these, um, you know, this particular guy, Bill Wright, he and his, uh, his wife um, were doing this for 40 years. I mean, 40 years of their life, they were out there. And um, I found out about it by a woman named Bonnie Setter, who wrote a book about Bill Wright oh. um, and about these school cars. And it's kind of her mission in life to bring obscure Ontario history to the forefront. Um, and and this was one of the stories that she found, and she was utterly you know fascinated by. It. But these kids did extremely well. I guess you know they were you know they 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 just were, you know. Maybe it was an incredibly interesting activity that the ability to go to school. Um, so they took it very seriously when they went to conventional, you know, high schools or universities afterward. Um, they all did uh, like like their their graduation rate was, you know, like extremely high. I can't it, well over 90 percent. Amazing. And would some of these uh, children have been First Nations kids? Uh, do you know? Yeah, I think some were, um, but mostly, mostly, um, you know, um, new new immigrants to you know to Canada. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know the exact breakout. Um, but Bonnie's book is incredibly fascinating. Wow, yeah, it's a great sequence. Where did you find film on this, uh, Mister Wright, the teacher? 
Yeah, so I'm glad you you know you, you you saw what we did. So to build the car that you see in the animation was yeah. was one 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 animator uh, spent two months building that because there's a lot of train enthusiasts out there, and we wanted to make sure that every little tiny component of it was absolutely accurate. Yeah. We actually had someone go to the museum in Quebec where the where the car still exists wow. oh, that's and photograph it all. Yes, they, there's one in Ontario, I think in Clinton, Ontario and there's one in Quebec huh. and we had somebody photograph the entire car so that we were perfectly accurate with every component of it in color and so forth and then an animator took two months to build it and then we found this footage and we thought well how do we integrate the footage and the animated car so you know we we you you see that you know you see yourself going into the window of the car and then it we we you know we we um we go into the footage and that footage was a a cbc story that was done i think in in 1948 or something uh, wow. on Bill right and 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 his family um they had four kids they raised four kids in in that tiny little space it's the back of a you know the back of a train car yeah no it's incredible uh fascinating and it's clever the way you travel through the windows to the the film footage inside it really really works uh i love that part of it um so you know you're going through these uh you're, you're on this train and you're going on on the journey up uh through these small small towns uh chapleau and and different places um you know, it's so isolated. Could you live in Chapleau or any of these places? I mean, you're, you're literally so far north. You're in parts of Ontario where you can still afford housing. <laughs> Is that, that that does exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in Chapleau, I think. Yeah, maybe in Chapleau. You know, the, and the other thing, and you're right about you know some of these small towns, and you know, you know the history of of, of the railroad in Canada, right? I mean, it either boom towns or it broke towns, right? And and you see that particularly in the West. And for a lot of these towns, you know, they were first, you know, when 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 the railroad arrived. Um, they were usually lumber towns, right? And now the mining towns and the same thing. But then a lot of them couldn't, you know, sustain after that. Once the, you know, once, once, once the, you know, the ground was, you know, was pulled from, you know, the, either the trees or, or the, or the, or the minerals or the, or the metals, um, the, you know, the towns had nothing, nothing more to give. So there's tons of abandoned towns, um, tons of abandoned lodges as well. And the nice thing is, is that if you're in a train, traditionally, you're against the window and you're seeing sort of, you know, maybe 90 degrees of the view where we're in the front, like we're in a seat that normally, you know, only the engineer gets. So right. you really get like a, a unique, um, you know, 180 view of the entire track, which when, when I first got up there and we mounted the camera and I started to see it, I went, wow, like I, I would take trains all the time if, if this was the view <laughs> I could get, you know? It reminds me, it looks a bit like, um, in Disneyland in California, the old original monorail kind of looks like the Bud Cars. It has that bubble front, and it has that view. And if when you're a little kid, you always wanted to get up in that front uh, car to see everything. But Disney made that train look kind of retro, and uh, it is very cool. Although, you know, there's parts of it, too, that look like a 1957 Studebaker. Like the, the, the train itself looks like an old Greyhound, right, when you're sitting in the back. It, it looks a heck of a lot like an old greyhound. I mean, I, I love that look, right? And I love those old, you know, sort of, you know, cloth seats and uh, and uh, and it, you know, it has a little bit of a, it has a little bit more of a of a, of a bounce to it probably than some of these, you know, the modern trains. I think that that corridor now, I think, is about the Montreal Windsor corridor, Quebec City Windsor corridor, is about to get new trains, and 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 they're supposed to be, you know, air riding and. You know and and have all the you know all the you know comfortable chairs or something but there's just something i mean there's a guy that you know he's there's a, a an organization called the via historical association and these guys are bringing back a set of of bud cars in the toronto um uh yards but this wow. guy he's such a fanatic that he built a a, a, a a bud car into his basement so what? literally you're in his basement. You can you 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 enter a full car, not a full car, but like what seems like a full car because he's done some kind of illusion stuff with the wow. with the doors on the front and back. 
it's incredible. Like, when I saw that, I went there. There's some real enthusiasts, like real. So you, you went to this guy's place and saw it? No, no. So I was talking to him, and, and we ended up doing a, a story about the the the. The, the the cars that they're bringing back these old you know these old bud cars um this whole set that they're bringing back and they're all doing it as volunteers they're doing it as just enthusiasts wow. and then somebody said well you know he's got a he's got a car in his basement i said what do you mean and they pointed me to a youtube video that i watched i couldn't believe it like it's it's a perfect like he got all of the pieces from an old an old train so it's absolutely authentic and um these uh the trains run on diesel is that the, yeah yeah real diesel cars yeah yeah um and what are the, what's the top speed on one of these suckers uh it's again you know using miles an hour 78 miles an hour all right it, it never really because and that's the other nice thing about this route is because it's so bending and stuff it never and it really worked for our purposes it never gets to you know full speed right and that was one of the things about work, working on something that's an actual operating yeah. um, machine we couldn't control the speed right so we were really happy that you know it wasn't uh you know one of these you know 100 120 mile an hour because that i think would have been disturbing to watch right um and also it seemed like a smooth ride and you show on the journey that the rails used to be much shorter they'd be maybe 12 feet you know they were they were limited with how long they could be and they were strung together but now they put these very very long pieces of metal rail and you see some of them by the side of the tracks waiting to be installed uh that keeps the ride pretty smooth right yeah, it keeps you, you know, that old clickety clack, you know, that you got at each seam, right? Where the yeah. seams were, and you, you, that was that, that sound. And also, I guess, the, you know, the physical sensation. So, yeah, they've now got or have had for, I guess, about 20 years now the ability to have much longer um, runs of rail. So um, it's, it's really, really smooth. It's interesting, you know, the bed uh, obviously, you know, was made from, you know, when they, when they built the, the rail in, in 1881 to 80. Or 84 to 1885 they used the granite that, that that they dynamited um you know from you know while building it and that stone is still like the perfect absorption stone for um for railways right they've wow. tried you know putting in you know cement they've tried using all kinds of different materials but in the end that's the like the the, the perfect stone that takes the exact right of absorption you know lasts the longest and uh yeah so it's still the the bed of of railroads railroads across canada and this stretch that you were on, did I understand correctly, this is part of the original railway system, the Trans-Canada, John A. McDonald coast-to-coast uh, -coast track? It's it's exactly it. It's the original CPR route. And um, other than, you know, they, they had some difficult moments in the Rocky Mountains and, you know, Yoho's um, spiral tunnels. is, is a, uh, But they said that this, in the building of the railroad, this was the second most difficult part because it was boggy, right? It was it was really, really boggy. Um, yeah. It was a lot of stone cut. Um, they spent, you know, what would have been in, in today's dollars, you know, uh, many billions of dollars worth of uh, of dynamite trying to, you know, to cut, trying to cut through that Canadian shield. It's uh, extraordinary when you're on that train and watching it and you realize how long the ride is to see that bed of stone and and try to comprehend how how in the 1880s did they make this happen it's like how do they build the pyramids kind of uh, a challenge isn't it yeah it's like one of those great wonders right i mean yeah. uh, it's it, yeah it, to think that they were you know the, 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 their biggest earth mover was a horse you know <laughs> when you finally get to white river you know is there a uh a and w is there a wendy's like what 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 is there uh i don't think there's either of those <laughs> there, there's usually the mayor i mean the, the, oh, that's the, the funniest part of the documentary yeah. is you set that up i'm sorry talk about the mayor is usually there to greet you but what happened this time well he, he, he the first time we rolled in we, we we didn't we thought it was a joke right the, the mayor doesn't really pick you <laughs> well the mayor was waiting for and it wasn't because we were the tv crew he was waiting for all of us you know yeah. 
And and it's because he has the the local motel and he has the the local restaurant and you know it's a bit of a hike to get to you know to either one of those so he he picks you up and gives you a ride over but when when we were uh, when we were coming in um, he was we we met him a couple of times but on this particular run he was uh, <laughs> he was at a wedding in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> the one time out of in the last 10 years yeah, maybe 30 years <laughs> uh, he probably took the train there too yeah. uh, did uh you know and this more normally on your documentaries uh often there's a bird's eye view especially the niagara one and mm -hmm. uh a lot of this is done with drones but do i understand you mainly used a helicopter on this journey and, and if so why yeah and 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 we did and i hadn't used one in you know in 20 or 30 years i mean you know now with drone technology i mean it's a fraction of the cost they work beautifully yeah. um, the challenge with this one is because it's such an isolated route um we couldn't get to the train route right i mean there's no or it's very little road access to the train route. So that was the first challenge. And then the second challenge is that it's an operating train. We can't control the train. We can't say, oh, that was good. Back it up. You know, let's do this again. So we, we and we were also trying to cover huge distances, right? Yeah. We we're trying to cover 20, 30, 40, again, miles. I'll use miles. A drone can't do that. Um, so we were, we were, forced um, to use a helicopter. But what you realize in filmmaking is there's a reason why helicopters are, you know, hugely expensive. I mean, they're the shots that you can get are they're epic shots, right? I mean, a yeah. drone, you know, can be quite, you know, quite big, but there's something about covering that much territory, moving at that completely perfect steady speed. Um, and, um, so the, the, the shots look like, you know, like big feature film shots. And it was just, um, John Morrison, our director was on it. And he just, he, he said it was one of his, the greatest shooting days of his life. He just thought it was just so much fun to, you know, being on a helicopter controlling this, you know, big camera that's on a, you know, on a real steady rig and, uh, you know, complete stabilization and tracking the train along and stuff. Yeah. So. And it's beautiful. And then once you get up in the air, you realize it's massive country up there. Because as right. much as you have a great view from the train, when you get up in the air, you realize like this is this is wilderness. I mean, you, you don't see anything human made for, you know, as far as your eye can see. Yeah, it's breathtaking. And also all the lakes and rivers along the route, uh, as you mentioned, it's kind of boggy in parts. So much water, though, inner waterways. And that really is uh, part of that uh, bird's eye view that uh, you wouldn't get any other way. It's very, very cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you, so did, did the chopper take off from Sudbury, or how, where did you start with it? Uh, it started in North Bay and then sort of flew over, and these guys knew that territory well, so that really, really helped us. They were a wonderful company, and... Um, and it's 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 a dance, right? You've got you know the helicopter pilot thinking about what he has to do because he's driving the machine. You've got the cinematographer working the toggles that move the camera left, right, up, down, um, and then you've got the director, you know, you know, telling both of those guys what he would love to get in that shot and how is it possible. So it's this beautiful three way dance to kind of you know, to get those shots. And, and, you know, when something's working, you know, be it when you're writing, when you're, you know, when you're doing anything, um, you know, creative, when it works, you just know it, right? Like you, I always think about that when somebody writes a hit song, they must know it right away, right? I mean, you can't <laughs> know it, right? Like, and, and most, most, most artists will admit they do, right? You just get that, that, that spidey sense that says, this is really working. Yeah. Do you hear so many stories about great hit songs that were completed in 20 minutes, right? That they just, it came out of nowhere. They don't even know how it happened. We'll be right back after these short messages. Okay, film lovers, start popping popcorn. 
Super Channel and the Canadian Film Fest are teaming up for the fourth time to present a hybrid festival, and this is from March 28th to April 1st. Canadian Film Fest presented by Super Channel will showcase nine features, 25 shorts, and a digital series, running concurrently for audiences to enjoy in person at Toronto's Scotiabank Theatre and virtually on Super Channel Fuse. Tickets for the theatrical screenings can be purchased now at canfilmfest.ca. The festival will open with the Toronto premiere of the Quebec-made comedy Babysitter, recently nominated for multiple 2023 Canadian Screen Awards. The film explores what happens to a man after a sexist joke goes viral and the journey he embarks on to free himself from sexism and misogyny. See this film and many more at the Canadian Film Fest, available in person or exclusively on Super Channel Fuse, March 28th to April 1st. Well, this month marks the two-year anniversary of the launch of Paramount+. Plus. In that short time, the service has rocketed from an underdog to the fastest-growing streamer in the U.S., adding a record 10 million subscribers in the fourth quarter alone. They've done it with a unique total household offering. Recent hits have been Top Gun Maverick, 1923, and Tulsa King. Later this month, get set for the new original series, Rabbit Hole, starring Kiefer Sutherland as a master of corporate espionage. He's on the lam after being framed for killing a government official. Damn it, Chloe, get me Paramount Plus. Also in March, Watch the Challenge World Championship. The new competition series brings teams together from the US, Australia, Argentina, the UK, and beyond. At stake, a hefty half million dollars. All that and more this month on Paramount Plus. Here he is again, documentary executive producer, Mitch Azaria. Now, uh, you mentioned, too, in the doc, some of the wildlife. Uh, this is a land, this is black bear country. Did you encounter anything like that? A moose or a, you know? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of an Easter egg in there. It's appropriate it's coming out at Easter. There, there, if you look closely, there's uh, there's some there's some there's a there's a, at least one moose along the track that that, that that's in the film. Oh. There's um, yeah yeah it, he he makes he makes a cameo. There's um, there's some there's some there's some cranes. There's some there's 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 a fair amount of wildlife and. I saw while while I was in the train off to the side, which the camera couldn't quite get, at least five different um, you know uh, moose, um, deer. It's it's wild country, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's it's and you know, Bill, I, I I'm enthusiastic for the documentary, but I, in some ways, I'm way more enthusiastic to have Ontarians ride this train. I mean, for two reasons: one, I think they'd really like it, and yeah. two. I've got such an affinity for the the people that work on this um, on this on this train and their enthusiasm for it, and and they're they're, they're you know they'll talk to you know everybody because they're so enthusiastic about this, and I just want people to go and and, and ride it so that it, that it's still there you know that it's there for our generation and the next generation because it's 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 it really is one of the great uh, the great secrets of 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 this province. Yeah, it's so Canadian, and uh, yeah. these yeah. these guys in their uh, ball caps and t-shirts <laughs> helping you on and off the train. It's yeah. it's like riding with John Candy, you know. Like it's just a, that kind of a feel to it. It really is cool. Uh, so good for you. Did you now? You know the other routes that I've heard of the Agawa Canyon, for example. What where is that in relation to the this train one eight one eighty five? Yeah, so the Agua Canyon, like the 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 route that was the original Agua Agua Canyon route, yeah. um, was a working train, and it and it had you know passengers and and and, right. uh, and freight, but it um, it it closed down a, a number of years ago, and there's some talk that it will come back, and um, it was also an essential route, and I I do hope it comes back, and in some ways that might be even. Um, even more beautiful because it's going right along the north shore of, of Lake Superior. So you're seeing even bigger cuts and people who, who did it before it, it shut down said it was quite spectacular. They do have a tourist train that runs, and I don't know the beginning and end, but it's, it's literally, um, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't service anything other than 
um, you know, taking, um, you know, people to see the beauty of the Agua Canyon. It's particularly popular in the fall. And it, it goes, I think, an hour and a half in one direction, stops, you get off, you get to see some waterfalls, you get back on and it comes back. Um, and, it, and it runs out of Sault Ste. Marie, but I, I don't, I don't know exactly its 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 course. And it's, from what I understand, it's also very expensive. Uh, com- certainly compared to uh, train one eighty five, right? What's it cost to ride from Sudbury to uh, White River, or wherever the end? Well, it, 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 it's if if you're not bringing worms with you, because it's it's three box for three three dollars for a box of worms, but. You're in- <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you're not carrying a canoe. If you're just, if it's just a, a, a human, it's uh, it's seventy dollars, I believe. Round amazing. Trip. That's fantastic. You, <laughs> I, you know, you probably pick up some worms at the mayor's uh, hotel and restaurant <laughs> if you're lucky. Uh, go and get there on the right day when he's not in Vegas. Um, what's uh, uh, Mitch? What's next? You know, uh, you've done so many wonderful. You're, you're, there's lots of Ontario left to cover. Uh, you know, the Bramley City Center. You going to do that? Or, uh, what you know, think? Well, well, the most northern part of Ontario is um, is Fort Severn. And Fort Severn's on Hudson Bay. Yeah. And Toronto to Fort Severn is about 1,400 kilometers. It's the same distance between Toronto and Atlanta, Georgia. And what I would love to do is I would love to get, because this helicopter really inspired me, I would love to get into a helicopter on the other side of Ottawa and go from the southern, you know, easternmost part of Ontario all the way to go through the Thousand Islands, go across Toronto, go across Niagara, go up, you know, Tobermory, maybe do a bit of, um, you know, a bit of the Muskokas, go up through Thunder Bay, see all of the Ontario, all of the North Shore, Lake Superior, then go over to James Bay and then eventually get up to Fort Severn and show the vastness of this province and show that, you know, in Southern Ontario that, this province just doesn't end until you get to, you know, Hudson Bay and the tundra of that country. And the people that live in Fort, you know, Severn are as Ontario and as, you know, people are in Toronto or Ottawa or Windsor or London, Ontario. This sounds like a project where you couldn't do this in real time. You'd have to make that journey, edit it down from what would probably take 20 hours, right? Or yeah, yeah, it's 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 and you're right about the distance. It's almost that that many hours. But, you know, what you would do is, you know, you would you would you would pick, you know, the spots that, you know, that that you think would be, you know, great sort of 10 minute rolls and then, you know, join them together with a, you know, an overlaid map and and you know, give that same kind of information boards, right? And I just think Ontarians you know, it, it would just be something special for them to be able to see the entire, uh, you know, their entire province. Yeah, I've never been north of, um, I guess, Kenora might be the farthest north on the, at the uh, west side of uh, the border of Ontario yeah. by uh, Superior. That's as far north. I'd love to get to uh, James Bay and then see all of that. That'd be tremendous. I hear it's really, really spectacular. So that's a great idea. Uh, that uh, to go from Ottawa all the way there. Wow. Very, very cool. And I love how you've progressed. So, you know, the, the doc, you, you, one, one of these trips you went was a Hawkeye view of the, of Niagara, right? And then you did that beautiful boat going out of the Redu Canal, that lovely mahogany wonder that, uh, so the, the, the mode of transportation is as much a part of this as the uh, actual places you visit, right? Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, the other one that I'd love to do is, is the French river in a canoe, you know, I mean, wow, that's what a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Historic river, right. Like absolutely critical river from, you know, from the beginning of time till now, um, you know, prehistoric, historic, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous piece of water, um, you know, a canoe iconically Canadian, um, you know, the silence of, you know, of, of, of that kind of route, you know, just the sound of water and paddles. And so that, that would be, you know, that would be another one that I'd love to do. And, and, and another one that, you know, Ontarians I think would, would, would really love, because I think we all believe that we can paddle. I think we're, we're born <laughs> Ontarians. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what was the def. Pierre Burton said: a Canadian is someone who could make love in a canoe. 
right? <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Yeah, so that's yeah. A good one. God bless Pierre Burton. <laughs> Mitch, I, I here's my suggestion. I think I'm the one who may have even suggested uh, the Bruce Peninsula to you. And, um, you know, so I've got uh, your next uh, documentary lined up for you. All right. But um, I think your paddling idea is perfect. You should yeah. team up with Ron James, the comedian. Ron yeah. literally goes uh, every year up to like James Bay or further north into the territories and um, paddles into God's country and has these amazing retreats. So imagine having him uh, in the canoe, I think, would be kind of fun for the commentary at least, right? Well, yeah, and you know what? You did actually to get if, if if not for you, we wouldn't have done the Bruce. So you're right. Oh about my God! It. Wow. And I, I like the Ron James idea because you, yeah, I mean that what the material, and and it wouldn't all be comedic. He would have a true. If he's doing that, he's got a true appreciation for um, the outdoors, doesn't he? He's a historian, and uh, he is very into it, and he's got a place in Toronto, so. Uh, yeah, bring him over to see the other guy's train house and uh, figure this out. <laughs> Connect all those dots. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I got three last questions for you. I can't remember uh, if we did this last time or not, um, but I usually ask at the end of the podcast three questions, so they're all TV-related. All righty. So the first one is, what are you watching now? What What's your favorite TV show currently? Well, I'm I'm just wrapping up. It's an old one, but uh, Sneaky Pete. Oh yeah, that was yeah. Uh, by a Canadian producer there, Graham Yost. Graham Yost, writer, producer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a pretty good one. With uh, what's his name? The uh, Giovanni. Giovanni, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Good show. Yeah, I'm watching yeah. right now. Um, the Slow Horses that uh, Graham Yost is also producing, and that's another wonderful show. Okay, I'm going to look for that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's really good. He is very good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's a good recommendation. Now, uh, when you were a youngster, when you were a kid, I can't remember. Did you grow up in uh, Ottawa or Montreal? Where were you from originally? Yeah, I, I grew up in Montreal. Yeah. Was there a show that you used to race home from school to see, or you just loved as a, a youngster? Yeah, there were a lot of those kind of shows. I mean, we had our, you know, we had our, our, our lunchtime shows. Right. And then we had our after school shows. Right. And then we had, you know, bug the parents enough to, you know, stay stay late on Tuesday nights to watch Mod Squad. But, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You, okay. You got to stay up till 830 at that point. Right. But, I, you know, my of all the, the, the shows that I really loved Rockford Files. Oh, my God. Absolutely loved Rockford Files. Well, it's uh, you're speaking to the choir here, uh, James Garner, and <laughs> yeah. the great sidekick he had, and the one of the Angel. best, yeah, yeah, one of the best theme songs, and oh, one of the great theme songs, yeah. And when you look back at those shows, the guest stars are incredible. <laughs> Every week there would be like, you know, uh, Robert Redford or Burt Reynolds, or like they were just larger than you'd expect, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in his lifestyle, I mean, I, I guess to watch it now, you know, living in a trailer on the beach, maybe, you know, California, maybe it wasn't the most glamorous lifestyle. But as you know, as, as a young guy, I thought that is the coolest. He had a, you know, he had that. Was it a Camaro? Like everything about him just was cool. Right? Yeah, he had a he, and he could drive it. And he Garner yeah. really did the stunts himself, I think. Uh that was a Stephen J. Cannell show when, they, when TV storytelling started to really change. And uh, David Chase, who did The Sopranos, was a writer on The Rockford Files. So, That's, I, I remember all of that. That's amazing. That's yeah. that. you, you were a fan. Well, it's funny. It had just come up recently, so I was talking a bit about it. But, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, well, this segues into my next question then. What's your all-time favorite TV theme song? Well, I can't go Rockford Files as much as I loved it. I, I did love that. I mean, I still hear it in my head. But, you know, it sounds corny, but, I, you know, Gilligan's Island. I just... Oh, I just all right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I refer to it so often, right? Anytime we're about... Even on the train, you'd say, okay, we're, you know, three-hour cruise, right? Or on the cruise, <laughs> right. you know, here we go on a three-hour cruise, right? It was, you are taking people on a three-hour cruise now <laughs> on train 185, tripping train 185. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a show that um, everything does come down to Gilligan's Island, doesn't it? It's sort of... 
defines television, the cast, the being lost. It's it's basically friends on a on a ship. That's that's and why they never got off the island is that it still puzzles me to this day. Yeah. How did the Harlem Globetrotters find their way to the island uh, for the movie, right? And they still couldn't get away. Uh, listen, uh, Mitch, it's always a pleasure. When uh, people can see this Friday, April the 7th on TV Ontario, and you can stream it as well, right? You, you can. And, and, and I say this sincerely, Bill, I, I really love talking to you because I know you've watched. And I know like you're, you know, like it just it's it's a real pleasure, a real, real pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. I, and I think for people who are, have not yet experienced these documentaries, you have to almost get your mindset into it. Like take the phone off the hook if you want an old expression. Let's see. Turn off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> lock the door you know I'm, I'm speaking like someone who's just been on this train um but but you really need to concentrate or just put your feet up and just spend three hours meditating almost isn't it that's part of the it experience. Is. And, yeah i think it is i mean if it, if it works that's that's what it's doing right we try and make it immersive to the point our our, our working kind of um theory is don't ever you know push someone back in their chair just keep them in that nice mellow spot the speed's always the same no matter what we're doing the sound is you know what you hear in the field so if we're doing it right that's 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 what we're hoping yeah there's no gimmicks or junk it's like otis the town drunk doesn't get on the train halfway or there's nobody in a bear costume it's just real stuff and uh don't miss tripping train 185 <laughs> mitch it's great talking to you again hope you uh, too. thank uh, you very much for having me my pleasure all best to you and uh, good luck with the next project the weather started getting rough the tiny ship was lost if not for the courage of the fearless crew the middle would be lost the middle would be lost well, as Mitch noted in our conversation, he likes to take viewers along on his three-hour video tours. So it should be no surprise that his favorite all-time TV theme song is The Ballad of Gilligan's Island. The music was written by George Weil with lyrics by Gilligan's Island's executive producer, Sherwood Schwartz. And here's a little-known fact. There was another Calypso-style theme song that was written for the original pilot, but it did not stick with the series. Things turned out pretty good nonetheless for that composer, Spielberg favorite John Williams, who was just nominated for his 11 billion millionth Oscar. Thanks as always to producer Phil Hong for all the care and flourish he brings to each one of these episodes. I'd also like to thank all of the amazing publicists who arrange for guests to share their stories here at Brio.tv. Thanks also to our sponsors whose contributions make these podcasts possible. Finally, thanks to you, listener, for finding time to share in these conversations with the people who make the television we love. Please favor us with a like or a comment, or if you're feeling especially ambitious, a review. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening. Don't sell it, spread it, catch the ways. 